This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Boston Blackie is a fictional character created by author Jack Boyle. Blackie, a jewel thief and safecracker in Boyle stories, became a detective in adaptations for film, radio, and television, an enemy to those who make him an enemy, a friend to those who have no friend. Actor Chester Morris was the best-known Blackie, playing the character in 14 Columbia Picture Films and in a 1944 NBC radio series. Boston Blackie is the role for which Morris is best remembered. Now, I've mentioned these facts before, but I think knowing Jack Boyle's background is useful in judging his work as a writer. He grew up in Chicago, Illinois. While working as a newspaper reporter in San Francisco, he became an opium addict and was drawn into crime, jailed for writing bad checks. Later convicted of robbery, Boyle was serving a term in San Quentin when he created the character of Boston Blackie. As mentioned in previous shows, it must have been quite a thrill to receive word while imprisoned that your writing has been accepted for publication. The very fact that Boyle was surrounded by criminals gives credence to his work as a crime writer. The first four stories appeared in the American Magazine in 1914, with Boyle writing under the pen name number 6066. From 1917 to 1919, Boston Blackie stories appeared in the Red Book magazine, and from 1918, they were adapted for motion pictures. And now, tonight's episode, Millicent Bromley is Kidnapped. You understand? Well, I... We've got to find that girl, you hear? Hey, Inspector Faraday, we can't hear you when you pound your desk like that. You'll pound a beat if you don't find the Bromley girl, Carlson. And the same goes for the rest of you, too. Look, Inspector, this is the homicide department. How come the pressure's on us to find her? Because the pressure's on the whole force. And what's more, this kind of thing leads to murder sometimes. More than sometimes. And we want to get to work before there's a murder. Okay. No, it isn't Okay. What have we done so far? Inspector, we've got every radio car in the city in operation. We've called in all off-duty men, canceled all... I know what we've done, Carlson. And I know what we haven't done, too. We haven't found Millicent Bromley. She's just a 22-year-old, see? A girl who's done nobody any harm, see? And she's in the hands of thugs, see? Now, we're supposed to be great, big, strong he-men. We're supposed to be policemen. We're supposed to protect the people of this city from accidents and crimes. Yet we can't even help a 22-year-old girl. No. Faraday speaking. Inspector Faraday, this is Shorty. 
You know, Shorty, Boston Blackie's place. Yeah, I know who you are, Shorty. So don't bother me. I'm busy. Yeah, I know that, Inspector Faraday. That's why I'm calling. I can make you unbusy. Oh, you can, can you? Yeah. Well, isn't that nice? Now, look, Shorty, I've got... Don't... But you got to listen to me, Inspector Faraday. Blackie's out of town. Oh, he... Blackie's out of town, is he? That's wonderful. Now, why don't you get out of town, too? Then I'll solve this case the way it ought to be solved. Inspector Faraday, I, I just talked to Blackie's girlfriend, Mary Wesley, and she talked to Blackie. He's in California. You talked to Miss Wesley, and Miss Wesley talked to Blackie. So what? What do I care? I'm busy looking for a missing girl. Now, goodbye. Oh, gee, Inspector Faraday, don't hang up. I know you're looking for a girl. It's Millicent Bromley, isn't it? Yeah, it's Millicent Bromley. And I suppose you know right where she is. I sure do, Inspector Faraday. She's right here in my room. And now on to tonight's adventure of Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend to those who have no friend. That's Shorty's door, Carlson, at the end of the hall. You think he was on the level about having the Bromley girl, Inspector Faraday? I don't know. If he does, this case is awful easy. I haven't had an easy case in ten years. We'll know in a minute. Open up, Shorty. It's Faraday. Open up! Come on in, Inspector Faraday. Hey, what's the matter with you, Shorty? You're bleeding. Grab him, Carlson, before he falls down. I got him, Inspector. Thanks. You better sit down, bud. Yeah, sure. You know, the guys got here too late. And what happened you to you, Shorty? Been... Where's the Bromley girl? I don't know, Inspector Faraday. Uh-oh, Faraday. You said this might be one of Blackie's gags? Yeah. Oh, no, no, Inspector. This ain't no gag. She was here, but somebody slugged me from behind, and when I came to, she was gone. Oh, yeah? So help me. That, that's the truth. Take this down, will you, Carlson? You're bad, Inspector. Okay. Now, Shorty, Blackie put you up to this, didn't he? No. It's his idea of a gag. Or maybe he's mixed up in this. Honest, Inspector, all Blackie had to do with this was to tell me to call you up and say the girl was here. Ah, uh, but the girl wasn't here, was she? But she was, Inspector Faraday. Honest, she was. She was right there on that couch there when I was talking to you on the phone. All right, she was right there on the couch. How'd she happen to get here? You grabbed her, didn't you? No, honest, Inspector Faraday. She was here when I got here. And the professor was here, too. He said she was his niece. The professor? Who's he? He's a guy I know. Nice guy, too. He's used my room before, but he's never brought anybody with him before. Especially anybody he swiped. How did you know the Bromley girl wasn't the professor's niece if the professor said she was his niece? Well, the professor left and told me to let the girl sleep. I turned on the radio in the other room and I heard what the Bromley girl was wearing. Uh Now, this girl was wearing the same thing. Sure, sure. I went over to wake her up and ask her if she was the Bromley girl, and then I saw she was doped. And then, suddenly, something hit me on the head. You're lying, Shorty. If I'm lying, you think I hit myself on the head? I wouldn't doubt it. Ah! I think this whole thing is phony. Now, come on, who's this professor? Is that Blackie? Or is he something else Blackie dreamed up? No, no, honest, Inspector Faraday. The, the professor's a real guy. He's real, huh? Yeah. All right, where does he live? I don't know. Oh, you don't, huh? Well, isn't that convenient? Shorty, you're number one on my suspicion parade. And maybe the charge will be murder. Which is another way of saying, you're under arrest. You recovered the Bromley girl from Shorty's room without Shorty seeing you, didn't you, Tommy? Oh, sure, Professor. He didn't even know what hit him. 
And the Bromley Dame's still sleeping in the next room. Splendid. Now, I want you and Bill to listen to me very closely. I think I know what we're going to do next, Professor. I hope you do, Tommy. But Bill here wasn't present for the initial proceedings. I think we had best... Uh... Uh, one thing I don't savvy yet, Prof, is why we stashed the dame at Shorty's in the first place and then had a conch Shorty to get her back. Well, Bill, I didn't want to bring her directly here to my place until I was certain the police had no description of me. So it was expedient for the girl and I to remain in someone else's abode until I could ascertain whether or not it was safe uh, to lodge her here. Oh, I get it. Nobody spotted you snatching a dame, so after a couple of hours at Shorty's, it was okay for us to get her out of Shorty's, huh? Your powers of deduction are brilliant, Bill. Uh, but now for your instructions. I managed the girl this far. As Tommy knows, she'll be in your care from now on. Yeah, sure, Prof. We keep her here, Prof? No, Bill. You will take her out to our farm and wait there for the delivery of the ransom money. Uh, when you have the money, bring it here to me. Hey, look, Prof, it's a long way out to the farm. What if the Brownlee Dame wakes up on the way out and starts yelling? I don't think you'll have any trouble with her, Tommy. Asleep or awake. Well, if we do... Oh, no, you won't, Tommy. We'll have none of that. Oh, but, Prof, if she starts to queer our plans... The girl is not to be mistreated in any way, do you understand? Well, I'll see that everything goes all right, Professor. I'm certain you will, Tommy. And what about after we get the dough? What do we do with the dame then? Release her, by all means. And show her the greatest courtesy while she's in your care. Okay. Now, um, how do we get the money? My dog will bring it to the shack. Huh? The dog, Prof... How's a dog going to bring us some money? Where's a dog going to get it? The ransom note I have just prepared states that they will find my dog leashed to a tree on the Oxford Road, six miles west of Havensville. Yeah? They are to strap the packages of money, $50,000, in 20 and $50 bills, all old money, to the dog's back, and untie him from the tree, mm. and then say, now, go home. The dog... We'll do the rest. Yeah, but, Professor, won't somebody follow the dog? Why do you think I'm going to such fantastic measures to procure the ransom money, Tommy? Perhaps someone will try to follow my dog, but it'll be impossible. I have trained him for months to run a devious course at top speed and to duck through thickets and backtrack in the d densest underbrush. <whistles> and parts of the terrain over which he will travel with the ransom money will be impassable to man. No, Tommy, no one will follow my dog. But they're perfectly welcome to try. Inspector Faraday, I know you're doing everything possible to find my daughter, but can't you do the impossible and get her back? Mr. Bromley will do anything to find that daughter of yours. But you can help us if you give us the details of the ransom but note. But I haven't received a note. Mr. Bromley, I know exactly how you feel about this. You think you're protecting your daughter by not cooperating with the police because the note says not to contact the police. But, Inspector Faraday, you must believe me, I have not received a note. You haven't, huh? No. But when I do, you can be sure I'll contact you no matter what the note says. Will you promise me that? Even if the note warns you not to come to us? I'm no fool, Inspector. I know you can handle these fellows far better than I. And I'm glad you realize that. If more people realize that, there'd be far less crime. You'll get complete cooperation from me, don't worry. But isn't there anything you can do before I get the note? We've done all we could on the leads we've had. Well, this, this, this shorty person, what does he know about it? I don't know. He tells a story that makes some sense, but not enough to suit me. I still think he's mixed up in this some way. 
Or Boston Blackie is. You're holding, Shorty. No, I had to let him go. Not enough on him. Well, this, this story he tells about a, a, a professor. Perhaps that's your lead. It is a lead, and we're working on it. But so far, we haven't been able to find any professor. But certainly this Shorty must know where he lives if he knows him well Mr. enough. Mr. Bromley, you don't know underworld people. If Shorty's telling the truth about a professor, he may also be telling the truth when he says he doesn't know where he lives. Well, some of the best-known people in the underworld have hideouts that no one knows about. Not even members of their own gang. Oh, I, I see. Uh, don't worry, Mr. Bromley. We'll find... Come in. Inspector Faraday. Yeah, Carlson, what do you want? I've got something you want, Inspector. We got a tip on where a guy they call the professor may be hiding out. Oh, thank heaven. You have, huh? Good. Where? In a brown house on Front Street between Canal and the Bay Bridge Ramp. Front Street, huh? Yep. That's near where Shorty lives. Maybe he was telling the truth. Inspector, now maybe we'll find my daughter. I hope so, Mr. Bromley. Maybe you'd like to come along with us. I'm going down to Front Street in person to teach that professor a lesson. Here's the professor's house, Mr. Bromley. Are you sure? Yes. The tip said it was a brown house on Front Street, didn't it, Carlson? Yes, sir. And between Canal Street and the Bay Bridge ramp. This is the only brown house on the block. Want me to go in first, Inspector? No, I'll go first. You and Mr. Bromley follow. We have to find Millicent here, Inspector. This is our only lead to her. Well, there's still Shorty. We can pick him up any time we want to. Oh, uh, on what grounds, Inspector? We never saw him with her. We can't charge him with any... I know that, but we... Well, let's go in and have a chat with this professor. There... There won't be shooting, will there? If there is, Mr. Brownlee, I'll start it. My gun's all set. Hey, why not try the door, Inspector? It might be open. All right. But watch it. You'd better step back a few feet, Mr. Brownlee. That's all right, Inspector. I'm not afraid. Hmm. Door's open. Let's go in. But slowly, slowly. Hmm. Doesn't look to me as if this house has been lived in lately. Yeah, some people don't care how they live, Carlson. Inspector, there's a light shining from under that door. There. Yeah, I just saw it, Mr. Bromley. Now, come on, let's have a look. Ready with your gun, Carlson. Ready. But be careful. He may be holding my daughter as a shield. Please, be careful. We'll watch out, Mr. Bromley. Okay. I'm going to try the door. I'm all set. Fling her open if she isn't locked. And there's our professor. Okay, prop, put the... Matter, Inspector Faraday. Nothing much, Mister Bromley, but there's a lot the matter with the professor. He's dead. And now back to our story. <laughs> Twenty-two-year-old Millicent Bromley is missing, but is later found by Shorty, a friend of Boston Blackie. Shorty learns that the girl is stolen and gets in touch with Boston Blackie, who's out of town. Blackie tells Shorty to contact Faraday of the police. Shorty calls Inspector Faraday, but before the inspector gets to Shorty's room, Shorty is knocked out and the girl stolen from him. Shorty claims a man named the Professor brought the girl to his room, but when the police find the Professor... He's dead. As we return to our story, Shorty has been released by the police. And in the Bromley home, the phone rings. Hello. You, Bromley? Yes. You get our little note about the ransom? Yes, I just this minute received it. Are you the man who has my daughter? I'll ask the questions. 
But I'll answer that one with a yeah. I got your note. I'll pay your money. Only give me back my daughter. You'll get her back, Bromley. But did you read that little note real good? Yes, yes, I read it. Well, it said, don't tell the police what's in it. Did you read that? Yes, I did. Well, remember that, pal. Or forget about your daughter. Oh, I'll be... Hello. Hello. Oh, he hung up. Coming, coming. Yes? I'd like to talk to Mr. Harold Bromley, if it's okay. I'm Harold Bromley. Oh, hiya. I'm Shorty. I guess you've heard of me. I certainly have. I. You got a minute so I could talk to you? Well, definitely. Come in, come in. Thanks. The uh, police have released you, I trust. Yeah, but they'll nab me again if we don't find your kid. I'm still in a jam. Look, I I just been talking to my friend Boston Blackie long distance, see, and he asked me to come and see you. Your friend Blackie is going to help me find my daughter? He's trying to now, Mr. Bromley. But how can he help me when he's out of town? Oh, he'll be here tomorrow. But he figured he might help even before he got here. If you tell him what's in that note... Well, I intend to tell Inspector Faraday of the police, in spite of the fact that I just had a phone call warning me not to... Uh... But do you think it's wise for me to tell Blackie, too? Well, if you're smart enough to spill it to the cops, you sure can't go wrong spilling it to Blackie. You know, Blackie comes up with some shortcut ideas every now and then. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Sure. All right. Here's what the note says. The money, $50,000 in old bills in 20s and 50s, is to be taken by car to a tree on the Oxford Road... Six miles west of Havensville. Uh-huh, I got it. There'll be a dog near the tree. A dog? What cooks? The money is to be strapped to the dog's back. I am to untie the dog and say, now go home. And that will be that. Why, that's the nuttiest thing I ever heard. I'm afraid it's rather clever, though, Shorty. They caution me not to try to leash the dog. He'll balk. He won't move. And not to try to follow it. It'll be impossible. Well, it is, huh? Well, maybe so. Look, uh, when do you have to kick in with the ransom money? At midnight, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, huh? Okay, now I'll tell you what. Just so those guys can't say you double-crossed them, I'll go to the cops. That note sure didn't say nothing about me. Sunset Parkway. Good evening. Hello, Harry. This is Shorty. Oh, yeah, Shorty. Any more news from Blackie? Well, there's a telegram here for you. Yeah, that's what I meant. I guess it's from Blackie telling me what plane he's coming in on. Well, it got here just three minutes ago. Read it to me, will you? Okay, just a minute. Yeah, good. Uh, here you are, Shorty. Okay. Uh, Read it slow. Okay. It's from Blackie, all right. What plane's he coming in on? Well, here's what his wire says. Yeah. Weather impossible. All planes grounded. Phone me here about note as soon as you know something. Sign, Blackie. Okay, Harry, I'll do that. Blackie says he'll tell me what to do next, huh? Gee, I I sure hope so. Yeah, Blackie, I got it. Oh, gee, that's a swell idea, Blackie. But the note says not to tell the cops what's in it. Well, okay, if you think it's okay. Yeah, I'll go see Inspector Faraday right away. Uh-huh. 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 
Look, Shorty, you want to spend the rest of your life in this office of mine? Maybe. Now look, Inspector, I came here to tell you what was in the ransom note Mr. Bromley got. He got the note? You know what's in it? Sure. How do you know? Did you write it? No, I didn't. Mr. Bromley told me what was in it. He told you? Uh-huh. Why didn't you say so in the first place? Because you've been screaming your head off ever since I walked in that door. Well, I'll scream some more if you wait any longer to tell me what's in that note. Okay. There it is. Now, at midnight tonight, we take $50,000 in old bills, 20s and 50s, to a tree on the Oxford Road, six miles west of Havensville. I know, the old gag. Leave it in a hole in the tree, huh? Oh, no. There'll be a dog there. Yeah, I thought... A dog? Yeah, a dog, tied to the tree. We strap the money on the dog's back, untie the dog, and he scrams with the dough. That's fine. Just how are we going to follow a dog? Those things can run, and they probably got this one trained to break records. Yeah, I guess maybe they have, Inspector Faraday. But Blackie's come up with an idea how we can trail the dog without following him. He has. Uh-huh. How are we going to do it? Tie rockets to our pants? <laughs> You better hurry, Mr. Bromley. It's almost midnight. We yes, want to release Inspector. the dog here right on the dot of 12. It's almost done, Inspector Faraday. By. My hands are shaking so I can hardly... There. Seems secure enough. Good. Now, here's where we start fooling these guys. How, Inspector? We'll never be able to follow this dog by trying to run after it. No. But we can do something so we can watch where he goes. Now, look around you, Mr. Bromley. What do you see? Well... Nothing but darkness. Yeah, pitch darkness. But in that darkness are hills. Pretty high hills, too. I have men posted on the top of nearly every hill in the vicinity. Will they be able to see the dog? No, they won't be able to see the dog, even using binoculars. That is, not as the dog is now. Shorty, do you have that can of luminous paint? Yeah, sure. It's right here, Inspector. I'm putting on the dog's tail now. Oh, now I see what you're going to do. Put some on the dog's sides, too, Shorty. A nice wide band of it, huh? Yeah, I'm doing that right now. Say, this paint won't hurt him, will it? No, I checked into that. The stuff's non-poisonous. Oh, we'll get it off after it's served its purpose. What happens now? Do your men watch the dog through binoculars and then go to wherever the dog stops? No. They're all equipped with field radios, Mr. Bromley, and they'll radio the dog's progress and eventual destination right here to us. Let the dog go, Shorty. Okay, boy. Now go home. He's loose. Come on, scram, puppy. Have a good run, boy. Wow, look at him go. And look how clearly you can see the luminous paint on his tail and sides. Yeah. All right, Mr. Bromley. Let's go back to my car, see what's on the radio. This is Sergeant Lawrence in north position. The dog just crossed Highway 6 going due west. I followed him straight west until he disappeared into a pass. <laughs> This is Carlson, West Position. The dog just passed below us, heading up the bank of the Owl River, seven miles from the Staten Bridge. He's now heading into open country in the direction of Plainfield. This is Williams on a hill near Plainfield. The dog just arrived at the farmhouse 18 miles north of Plainfield. As I'm watching now, the door has been opened by someone on the inside. The dog has entered the house. All right, Inspector Faraday, it's all yours. 40,920, 40,920. You know, Tommy, I still don't see why we knocked off the professor. 40,090. Well, Bill, we got rid of the professor because $50,000 splits bigger two ways than four. Four ways? Yeah. 
I have a surprise for you, Bill. Hmm? You, the professor, and I make three, but the Bromley girl makes four. Huh? I don't get it. This was a deal cooked up by the Bromley dame herself to get money from her tightwad father. Are you leveling? The prof didn't snatch that dame? No. Neither did we when we took her out of Shorty's room. Now, that was all a part of the Bromley girl's deal with the professor. The professor said he'd go in with her if he could drug her and keep her in somebody else's joint while the heat was good and hot. Well, any dame that'd do that to her own father just to get money from what... Hey, hey what the... what's happened to the lights? Oh, what do you think happened to them? They went out. We didn't touch a thing. We didn't Hey, touch... I don't like this. Let's get out of here. Okay, but what about the Bromley dame? Never mind her. Come on. We'll run across the yard to the barn. All right, you guys. There we are. A, yeah, a lot of cops. Don't move either, Lou. Grab them, boys. Any of have time to reach their guns, Inspector? That's a good thing, Carlson. Yeah, we know when to be good, boys. Yeah? Where's the Bromley girl? Still in the house. Okay, Carlson. Send one of the men in after him. Okay. Go. Go on in after him. Ah, now we have the men we want, the ransom money, and the Bromley woman. Maybe this was all Blanky's idea, but I did it just as well as if Blanky himself were here. Homicide. Carlson, this is Inspector Faraday. Oh, yes, Inspector. Where are you? The commissioner wants to congratulate you. I'm home in bed. I just had an idea. Do you know where Blackie is? Uh, still grounded on the coast, I hear, but there's... Well, I want uh... to send him a wire. Take this down. Uh, yes, sir, but uh, Here it is. Uh... Here it is. Recovered Millicent Bromley, who was just pretending to be kidnapped to extort money from her own father. But, uh... Men, I thought, abductors killed Professor, as you said they did, but, uh... I had a touch of my own in capture to protect Bromley Girl. But, Cut uh, power lines to farmhouse, knowing they would fear trap when house went dark. Uh, they ran out of house, and I nabbed them without endangering Girl. Uh, who's brilliant now? Uh, uh, sign it, Faraday, huh? Uh, just a minute, Inspector. I've been trying to tell you there's a wire here for you. Got here about six hours ago, according to Death Sergeant. Six hours ago, huh? Yeah. And that was before we got to the farmhouse. It's probably from Blackie with some crazy no-good idea. Uh, read it to me anyway. Uh, yes, sir, just a minute. Uh, uh, here it is, here. Uh, from Blackie, all right. What's he say? Uh, he says, uh, judge from use of dog, kidnappers are holed up in farmhouse or country home. To avoid danger to Millicent Bromley in event of shooting, suggest you cut power lines. Throwing house in darkness will possibly... Force them outside where you can nab them without risking life of girls. Don't bother reading the rest of it, Carlson. And don't bother sending my wire to Blackie. And wipe that smile off your face, Carlson. It isn't that funny.
Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Archie the Bartender to spin another tale about the goings-on at Duffy's Tavern. Now, Duffy's Tavern was an American radio situation comedy. It ran for a decade on several networks. The program often featured celebrity guest stars, but always hooked them around the misadventures, get-rich-quick schemes, and romantic missteps of the establishment's malaprop-prone metaphor-mixing manager, Archie, portrayed by Ed Gardner, the writer-actor who co-created the series. Gardner had performed the character of Archie talking about Duffy's Tavern as early as November 9th of 1939, when he appeared on NBC's Good News of 1940. Gardner worked as a director, writer, and producer for radio programs, and in 1941, he created a character for this New York, This Is New York program that he was producing. The character, which Gardner played, became Archie of Duffy's Tavern. Now, in the familiar opening, when Irish Eyes Are Smiling performed either solo or on an old-sounding piano or by a larger orchestra, is interrupted by the ring of a telephone and Gardner's New Yorkese accent as he answers, Hello, Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meet to eat. Archie, the manager, speaking, Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. <laughs> Owner Duffy was never heard nor seen either on the radio program or in the 1945 film adaptation of the short-lived 1954 series. Duffy's Tavern was Gardner's creation, and he oversaw its writing intently enough, drawing also on his earlier experience as a successful radio director. His directing credits include stints for George Burns and Gracie Allen, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and the Rudy Valley Hour. Gardner also brought aboard several keen writing talents, including... Theatric humorist Abe Burroughs, the show's co-creator and head writer for the first five years. The series featured many high-profile guest stars, including Fred Allen, Vincent Price, Lucille Ball, Joan Bennett, Nigel Bruce, just to mention a few. Hell, here we go with tonight's episode entitled Patent on Electricity. Hello, Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meets eat. Archie, the manager speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. What's new? You going on a vacation with Mrs. Duffy? Gonna get away from it all, huh? Duffy, that ain't getting away from it all. That's taking it all with you. <laughs> where are you going? Huh? Florida? You mean the place where California sunshine goes to spend the winter? <laughs> I'm only kidding, Duffy. In California, I'm kidding. Uh, huh? You're going swimming? Horseback riding? Horseback riding? Duffy, remember the last time Mrs. Duffy rode a horse? She couldn't sit down and the horse couldn't stand up. <laughs> now, look, about my vacation, huh? Huh? But Duffy, look, Duffy, you work me seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, I'm... I'm telling you, if I was a horse, they'd throw you in jail. <laughs> huh? Okay. This is the last straw. This is the hump that breaks the camel's back. Bad sisty on your vacation. What a job. Well, Miss Archer, what you complaining about? At least you're eating and sleeping. Yeah, but what and where? <laughs> Believe me, Eddie, in this, this job I can see very little future to be a millionaire. Now, be honest, ain't it struck you as peculiar that a guy of my charm and talent ain't already rich? Well, now that you mention it, 
No. <laughs> Look, Miss Archie, now you don't seem to realize it takes a lot of things to a guy to make a million dollars. Like what? Well, understanding of political economy. Proceed ahead. <laughs> a working knowledge of income taxes. Go on. Well, keen insight into the fluctuations of the investment market. Go on. Hard work. <laughs> so what's wrong with a half a million? Uh, I like the nerve of your gratitude. In what respect? The way you talk about my father. Don't you know that Papa looks on you as one of the family? And I hate him, too. Oh, uh, what's the use? You're enough to make a person sick to his or her stomach. <laughs> Let's understand each other. It ain't that I hate your father, although I do. <laughs> it's just that I gotta get out in the world and try to make some dough. Oh, that's the trouble with you. All you think about is money. Money don't bring you happiness. Well, maybe not, but it puts you in a pretty good bargaining position. <laughs> Why shouldn't I make money? I got as much brains as the next guy. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, hi, Finnegan. Uh, what's it doing? I'm trying to figure out here how to make a million bucks. Well, it's simple, Arch. All you gotta do is make two million and lose one. <laughs> well... How do you make the two million? Oh, it's when we solve that, we got the problem licked. <laughs> but uh, never mind, it can be done. How? Well, take my Uncle Herman. Uh, made a fortune and started on nothing but a shoestring. How do he make the fortune? Selling shoestrings. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but he lost it when the bottom suddenly fell out of the shoestring market. Yeah, and when was that? When the button shoe came in. <laughs> But right away, just like that, he made another fortune in the food business. In the food business? Yeah. You see, it was his idea to have carrier pigeons instead of mailmen. Carrier pigeons instead of mail. How does this affect the food business? Well, when you get hungry, you send yourself a letter and eat the mailman. <laughs> Sounds yummy. <laughs> Did your uh, uncle invent any more brilliant things like this? Oh, sure. Yeah. He was the guy that invented the horseless carriage. Your uncle invented the automobile? No. He invented a carriage without a horse. <laughs> but if the carriage ain't pulled by a horse, how does it run? Goats. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the only way to really make, though. Invent something. Yeah, I think you gave me the mucus of an idea. Let's see. Let's see, now what ain't been invented yet? Uh... Now, now, Miss Archie, you know you don't know nothing about inventing things. So what? What did the Jukes family know before they invented the jukebox? <laughs> Let's see here. Hi, Archie, old pal. Well, Slippery McGuire, I didn't know you was in town. I just got out. I mean, I just got in. <laughs> Oh, yeah? Well, where you been? On a vacation. Thirty days. Uh, but uh, enough about me, Arch. Uh, what have you been doing with yourself? Oh, same old thing. Still fooling around with me inventions. Oh, have you uh, patented anything yet? Uh, frankly, no. You haven't? Then, Arch, don't waste time inventing stuff. 
The real dough is in the patents. Yeah, huh? I didn't think anybody ever got a patent. I thought them things was just things that was always pending. <laughs> You trust me, don't you? Oh, sure, Slip. Forget the inventing. Get a patent. But what could I patent? Come here. Are you listening? Yeah. Do you know that nobody's taken out a patent on electricity? <laughs> Slip, say it again. Do you realize that there's no patent on electricity? And that if a well-known inventor like you should apply for a patent... Slip, I'm beginning to see the light. See the light? Oh, oh, oh what a mind! Arch, oh, what a team you and Edison would have made. <laughs> he had a great sense of humor, too. Mm -hmm. But we got to act fast. Now, you got to get busy and grab that patent on electricity before somebody beats you to it. Well, well do you think it's honest, though? Arch, I'm sure Edison would have wanted it that way. Yeah, huh? Quick, now, give me the phone. We'll make sure. Okay, here you are. <clears throat> Hello, Washington? Patent office? Clever ideas department, please. <laughs> Hello, George? Slippery speaking. Look, I want you to make a thorough search of your records and see if electricity has ever been patented. Yeah, I'll hold on. Uh, what's that? It hasn't? Hold the wire. Do you want it or not, Arch? It's a deal. Hello, George? Register it quick. Yep, yep. The inventor's name is Archie. Thanks a lot, kid. Well, old pal, this is a solemn moment. You mean? Arch, you own electricity. <laughs> have a cigar. Thanks. Now, look, if you let me have the ten bucks. The ten bucks? What for? Edison would have wanted it that way. <laughs> uh, Eddie, uh... Lay off, will you? What's the ten bucks for, Slippery? Well, Arch, you don't want a patent worth millions of dollars for nothing, do you? Well, naturally not. Uh, <clears throat> okay, here's the ten bucks, Slip. Hey, I'm just thinking, oh, what a dope. Who? And Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> he invents the stuff, and here I wind up owning it. <laughs> well, Arch, he wasn't as shrewd a businessman as you are. I guess not. How could a thing like that happen, though? Didn't you ever hear the story? No. Old Ben was out there flying his kite, you see, when he discovered electricity, and in the excitement of the moment, he lost his head, and instead of patenting electricity, he took out a patent on the kite. <laughs> oh, what a jerk. No wonder they called him poor Richard. <laughs> well, I guess I'd better run down and file these papers with my attorney. See you later. Okay, Slim. Holy cat. The czar electricity. The king of the kilowatts. Look. Your Majesty. Yeah. Got a message here from one of your subjects. From one of my subjects? Who? Uh -huh. The electric company. <laughs> they say that either we pay the bill or they turn off the lights. Now, what do we do? Ignore the vassals. <laughs> How about they send me one more bill? They're out of business. What a break, though, honey. Who would ever think that I'd wind up owning electricity? Yeah, I always connected you more with natural gas. Just <laughs> imagine a monopoly on electricity. Yeah, yeah. Make a fortune. There's, there's no competition. Oh, except 
Candles and glowworms. Hi, <laughs> uh, would you mind explaining this invention of yours? Electricity? Yeah. Well, I'll try to. You, you see, in the old days, Finnegan, our ancestors used to get it from rubbing the backs of cats, you see. But <laughs> as time progressed forwardly, uh, these cats wore out. So uh, nature was forced to invent the wool socket. <laughs> Is this clear to you? Except for one thing. What? When you talk, what makes your Adam's apple go up and down like that? I'll try to be clearer. Yeah. Look, you see that light switch on the wall? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you see that bulb up on the ceiling? Yeah. Well, uh, the stuff in between them is called electricity. Thanks, Arch. Boy, what an Adam's apple. <laughs> well, Arch, I just talked to my patent attorney and he... Oh, hello, Eddie. Hi, Kingfish. <laughs> hmm. Well, Arch, the attorney says we got to issue stock certificates. I don't get it. We got to start a corporation. I still don't get it, then. Well, Arch, we need more money. Get it? Well, <laughs> uh, why do we need more money? Edison would have wanted it that way. <laughs> Excuse me, man. Hello, uh, Duffy's Tavern, uh, Archie the Electrical Maggot speaking. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, a whole of wire. It's for you, Slip. Oh, uh, thanks, Arch. Hello? Oh, yes, yes, I'll ask him. Arch, Mayor O'Dwyer wants to know about the lights on Broadway. What about them? Do you want them on or off? <laughs> uh, tell them to keep them burning. The show must go on. <laughs> Hello? Permission granted. Thanks, Slip. Now, uh, Arch, as my attorney was saying, we need a little extra money. Uh, hello? Okay, just a minute. Another call for you. Ah, thanks. Hello? Oh, yes, Warden. Yeah. Well, I'll have to ask the president of our company. Arch, the warden up at Sing Sing wants to know if it's okay for them to use a little extra current tonight. Uh, for how long? Oh, about 30 seconds. Tell him it's okay. Warden, throw the switch. <laughs> Arch, that was sweet of you. Well, you know, you got to live and let live. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, what was you saying about your attorney? Uh, uh, he says we got to get these blueprints printed. I thought you said stock certificates. Oh, did I? Well, anyway, they're going to cost us $3. $3? Well, okay, so up here. You got me last nickel, but believe me, it's worth it. I like this, Thanks. Now, look, you better get busy and start selling some stocks so we can get this monopoly up on the big board. Okay, Slip, I'll get going right away. Holy cow. Wall Street. The big board. Eddie. Eddie, just think. I'm a public utility. <laughs> just like American can. <laughs> American can and maternity ward. Yeah, now I, all I need is a sales force to go out and sell a stock. Uh. Oh, hi, Arch. Well, Joe Moran, Joe, guess what I just sewed up. What? A terrific thing that everybody uses. Vitalis? No. Truchet? No. What else is there? Joe, you are talking to the owner of electricity. Arch, have you blown a fuse? <laughs> If I have, kid, it's paying me royalties. 
Now, look, I'm looking for a salesman. Joe, uh, how would you like to sell some stock in a hot monopoly? Uh, why not, Arch? I'm a natural to sell electricity. Everybody says I'm a live wire. <laughs> Any, meeny, miny, moe. Uh, what's that? I'm trying to decide between you and Finnegan. <laughs> look, Joe, before I give you this job, I'd like to test you as a salesman. Now, uh... Say, for instance, I'm one of them uh, big, busy, important executives like they have, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, there in my office, uh, sitting on me pomposity, uh, <laughs> and uh, you come in to sell me stuff. <laughs> what do you say? Well, I'd say, how do you do, sir? I'm Joe Moran, a former radio announcer. That sounds like progress. <laughs> uh, get to the point, though. Well, sir, how would you like to buy something that would pay you big dividends? Sounds like a very good investment. Now, tell me, uh, whom are your uh, satisfied uh, clientels? <laughs> well, for one, Stan Musial, the uh, famous baseball player. He takes from you? Of course. Stocks? No, by talents. Uh, you see, he likes Vitalis because it tames down dry, hard-to-manage hair. Look, Joe, what has this got to do with investments? Arch, what better investment in good grooming could you make than a bottle of Vitalis? Leave us get back to the stocks. Okay. <laughs> Sir, I'm sure that a smart businessman like you knows that Vitalis will keep your hair handsome and healthy-looking. You know, well-groomed, without a greasy patent leather shine. Why? Because there's not a single drop of mineral oil in Vitalis. Look, son, I'm a busy man. Busy? Then you're just the man to use Vitalis and the famous 60-second workout. Mm -hmm. Joe, did you say you're a former radio announcer? Yes. You are now a former electrical stock salesman. <laughs> now, please, take a short circuit. <clears throat> Hello? Oh, yes? Huh? Either I paid a bill or you what? Oh, yeah? Just for that remark, you're out of business. Who was that? A former electric light company. <laughs> well, I'm back. For how much? Five bucks. What for? Well, Arch, I'm sorry, but I have a confession to make. You know that patent I got? Yeah. Arch, I hate to tell you this. What is it? I forgot D.C. You forgot D.C.? You, oh, you mean all we get is B.C.? Arch, don't rub it in. I feel bad enough already. But, Slip, I ain't got five bucks. I'll have to give you an I.O.U. Arch, you can't. Why not? Well, you know an I.O.U. isn't any good. What do you mean? I've given you dozens of them, haven't I? Yeah. Was there a single one of them was any good? No. There you are. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> okay, here's the five bucks. <clears throat> Thanks, Arch. Have you sold any stock yet? Well, I, I uh, ain't been able to find no salesman. Well, why don't you do it yourself? Me? A big electrical tycoon? You want me to run around like an electrical fuller brush man? But, Arch, nobody else has your personality. Why don't you get on the phone and try it? Okay, Slip. I guess I do have a lot of personality at that. Hello? Hello, Chin Lee's Laundry? Uh... Oh, hello, Chin. Uh... Bus Mastu. Bus Mastu? He uh, changed his name for business purposes. Sir. <laughs> Look, uh, Chin, uh, this is Archie. Uh, how do you like uh, buy Belly Good stock in Belly Good Company? Yes, uh, sell you electrical stockle. 
Yeah, yeah, Billy Chief. Okay, Chin, chop, chop. Hello? Schimmelbacher's Bakery? Here, Schimmelbacher, please. Hello, Shim. Here, Archie. Uh, house by you, the house plow. Good. Schimmelbacher, ich habe ein, uh, ein, uh, electrical holding company. <coughs> Uh, mit sehr gut stock. Uh, can't you to buy some? Good enough. Now, uh, Schimmelbacher, uh, telling me, uh, tell me that, that son-in-law of yours, O'Casey, uh, you think he'd be after liking to buy a few shares himself, Begara? Hello, Russian Kretschmer. Comrade Archie. Lepietsky's Tavern. Yeah. I'd like to buy a uh, stock and uh, increase your, <coughs> you should pardon the expression, capital. Finnegan, <laughs> did you see Schimmelbacher? Yeah. Chinley? Yeah. The Kretschmer? Yeah. Did you collect the dough for the stocks? Yeah. How much? Nine fingers and 22 toes. <laughs> 31 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Here it is, George. Look at that, Eddie. 31 smackers. <laughs> Boy, that electricity is a... Go- huh? Hey, what happened? The lights went out. Yeah. It's pitch dark in here. Miss Duffy, did you turn the lights off? Of course not. Then who did? Uh, there I suggest that it was the electric light company. <laughs> you mean because I didn't pay five lousy bills, they turned the lights out? You was expecting maybe a medal? <laughs> then nerve him. Me that holds the patents on electricity. Turn the lights off on me for a lousy $9.23. Arch, how come it's so dark in here? Oh, uh, who's that? Slippery McGuire. Oh, glad to hear you. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, Slip, but they turned the lights off on us. But uh, forget about that. Uh, <clears throat> did you see our attorney? Yep, yep, I did. He says we have to have a partner to form an international electrical cartel. Now, you'll have to sign these papers as the sole owner of electricity. Okay, uh, then you can light a match, will you? <clears throat> Got to sign these important papers here. Hey, uh, just a minute, Slip. Uh, who's me partner in this cartel? Come here till I whisper. Who? The Alley Khan. <laughs> oh, Slip, how did you ever get a guy like that? I, uh, happen to have an important contact in Hollywood. Oh. <laughs> Ain't no more, Slip. Me and the Alicorn Partners in the International Electric Cartel. Then you can light another match, will you? Tell me, Arch, did you sell any stock? Yep, $31 worth. Now, uh, what'll it cost to start this cartel? Well, with this Alicorn as our partner, we'll only have to put up 4,000 rupees. Uh, how much is that? 31 bucks. Uh huh. And with that 31 bucks, Arch, we'll make a million. You got on the map of the world here? Yeah, you got a flashlight? No. Uh, Eddie, get me a candle, will you? It's too dark, yeah. I can't find a candle. Oh, okay, Penny, and light another match. Now, here's a map of the world, yeah? <clears throat> Hold a little higher, Penny. Now, let's divvy it up, Slip. Now, I'll take Africa, Asia, and Madagascar, and the Alicorn can have, uh... Yes, Archie, I found a candle. Oh, good. Light it, Finnegan. Huh? Sorry, Arch, I'm out of matches. 
Okay, I lied at myself. What an organization. Here I am, the electrical king of the world, and I got to do everything myself. Now, let's see here. Now, here's Alaska. Hey, wait a minute. In Alaska, the nights are six months long, ain't they? You mean... Yep. We'll have a light in every igloo by Christmas. Boy, I'll make a million bucks out of this monopoly. <clears throat> Eddie, move the candle. It's uh, dripping on me foot. Uh, wait a minute. I'm going to call up that electric company. Turning off the lights. I wonder if they realize that with a flick of me patent, I could put them out of business. Give me that phone. Eddie, uh, hold the candle over here so I can see the dial, huh? <laughs> Hello? Electric Light Company? Uh, this is Duffy's Tavern. Uh, I have reason to believe that you people have turned off our lights. <laughs> yes, and I want to warn you, sir, that a few heads is going to roll for this. Who am I? I happen to be the sole owner of the patent on electricity. Huh? What? Are you sure? Slip. The guy says I don't own it. Eh, uh, there must be some mistake, Arch. Uh, hang up on him while I check with Washington again. I'll call you back. Slip, this is terrible. We've got to get Washington in a hurry. Eddie, quick. Hold the candle over the dial. Hello, operator. Get me the patent office in Washington. Hello, patent office. Slippery McGuire. Say, what's going on down there, anyway? Does Archie own the patent on electricity or don't he? Huh? Mix up in the records? I see. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Arch, there's been a slight mistake. They found out Benjamin Franklin took out the patent after all. Oh, shucks. <laughs> oh, but Slip, this is terrible. Oh, you think so? Arch, the cloud has a silver lining. Silver lining? Yep. I just got the tip off. Benjamin Franklin did not take out a patent on the kite. Oh! Slipped up, huh? Without changing the cartel one bit, do you know how many kites we could sell? Take a windy city like Chicago. Millions of them. Slip, I think you're right. We could make a fortune. Now, let's look over this map again for new territory. Okay, uh, Eddie, the candle, please. Now, Arch, you know the kite is the common thing. Oh, no doubt about it, then. Uh, Slip, from here in, we're going to concentrate on a kite and, and forget about electricity. Good. Edison would have wanted it that way. Uh, next week, Mickey Rooney. Mickey. Yeah, like in uh, Let's Slip Him. Oh. Uh, well, uh, have a good time in Florida, Duffy. Be with you next week. Brotherhood Week, sort of a reminder for all of us that our democratic way of life is pretty good. 
Now, be honest. Do you ever feel you're a little better than the next person because his skin is a different color or his religion isn't the same as yours? Well, if you do, you're not pitching for the American way of life. You see, unless we get rid of racial and religious hatreds, we're going to kill the very thing that made America great. leave Duffy's Tavern for this evening, but let's meet here again at the same time next Wednesday, when our guest will be Mickey Rooney. Duffy's Tavern is brought to you by Vitalis for well-groomed hair, and Truche, the hand lotion with the beforehand extra. Each Wednesday, Bristol-Myers brings you Duffy's Tavern and Mr. District Attorney, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sam Spade, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.